The Hebrew scripture reading is from Genesis 11. This story is an origin myth, an ancient literary form poetically answering the question, how did things come to be as they are? This etiology addresses the question, why do the nations speak different languages? It begins. Throughout the earth, people spoke the same language and used the same words. Now, as they moved eastward, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. They all said to one another, let us make bricks and bake them in the fire. They used bricks as building stones in bitumen for mortar. Then they said, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top can reach to heaven. Let us make a name for ourselves to keep us from being scattered over the face of the whole earth. Yahweh came down to see the city and the tower these mortals had built. These are a single people with a single language, Yahweh said, and this is but the beginning of their undertakings. Now there will be nothing too hard for them to do. Come, let us go down and baffle their language so that they can no longer understand one another. So Yahweh scattered them over the face of the earth and they had to stop building the city. It was named Babel because Yahweh made humans babble different languages throughout the world. It was from there that Yahweh scattered them over the whole earth. In this reading from Revelation, the prophet paints a, an image of the goal of humanity. Humanity including countless people from every nation, each bearing a piece of God's image praising the spirit of love harmoniously in their own languages. Now hear the words of the prophet St. John of Patmos. After that, I saw before me an immense crowd without number from every nation, tribe, people, and language. They stood in front of the throne of the lamb. They stood in front of the throne and the lamb dressed in long white robes and holding palm branches. And they cried out in a loud voice, Life flows from God who sits on the throne and of the Lamb. And all the angels who were encircling the throne as well as the elders and the four living creatures prostrated themselves before the throne and they worshiped God with these words. Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This last week, we were granted the privilege of being asked to preach this sermon, not only in our partner church in Ciego de Avila, but in two of its partner churches outside of town. So this sermon has now been through several different forms as we've realized what works for translation and what doesn't, which meanings don't quite come through, and what sounds far too long and tedious. But there are two notes that we want to make before we begin. First, we want to express our excitement at having the chance for the first time to preach it all the way through without stopping for translation every two sentences. And second, we want to sincerely apologize to Craig and DH who are now hearing it for the fourth time. <laughs> so we begin with a story. Once upon a time, thousands of years ago, there was a great city in which every person spoke the same language. And over that great city, there were three leaders who ordered the life of the people. 
And it came to pass one day, while considering the future of their nation, that one of the leaders said, Come, let us make an enormous tower in the heart of our city, one that reaches beyond the clouds and into the heavens. It shall be a gateway between humanity and the divine, and we shall share in God's glory. Considering this for a moment, pondering what it would mean to share in God's glory, the other two soon agreed this was a marvelous idea. So the next day at the town gate, all three leaders stood before their people and announced the project. In unison, they gave the people their rallying cry, We shall share in God's glory. Well, as they set to work on the endeavor, God watched their work unfold with amusement and curiosity. God approached the first leader, asking him what he hoped to achieve by this great venture. We are doing this so we might share in God's glory, the first leader responded with enthusiasm. Think of it. Everyone on earth will see the tower's grandeur and beauty. They will realize their place in the universe, and they will be humbled before God. It became clear that to this leader, God was beauty, and to share in God's glory was to experience transcendence in the face of splendor. Moving along, God asked the second leader, who said, Did you not hear our cry at the town gate? We all agreed we are doing this so we might share in God's glory. Think of it. No one on earth will be able to resist the might of our tower. And it soon became clear that to this leader, God was power, and God's glory was the ability to dominate the world. And finally, God came to the third leader, asking what she hoped to achieve. It's as we all said, she replied. We do this so we might share in God's glory. Think of it. The poor and defenseless of the earth will see our tower and be able to take refuge within its walls. It soon became clear that to this leader, God was compassion. And sharing in God's glory meant doing the work of protecting the most vulnerable. The third leader walked away and God said, see how they use the same words. Yet each means something different. They believe they're on the same page, but they're each building this tower for a different purpose. What's more, they all said it was for me. But each was so attached to their idea of me that none actually recognized me standing before them. If only they could understand what one another were really saying, then perhaps they might be able to recognize the reality that their language circles around. And then God had an idea. Come, God said, let us help them by giving each of them a different language, something that helps them express what they really mean. Perhaps then they might understand one another, and by dancing with one another's ideas, they might finally come to recognize me. So when the sun rose the next day, each family began, work, began their work by giving their rallying cry. The first opened their mouth and sang, For la gloria de Dios! What are you saying? cried another in Hebrew. Kavod Adonai. No, no, cried the third in Arabic. Allah Akbar. And in confusion, they stared at one another and began trying to explain what each of them meant by their new words for glory and God. And soon they found that they were unable to agree on the real meaning of other words as well, words like peace or human or love. 
And God watched closely, hoping that this would be the moment that they started to widen their understanding. But instead, they began to fight. They clung to their own meanings ferociously and ultimately split apart in bitterness, leaving the base of the tower as a rugged reminder of their error. Each left the city, unknowingly walking right past the living God who resolved to patiently await the day when they would realize the gift they'd been given for the day they would finally gather around and sing in harmony with one another. Translation can be a tricky thing. You always run the risk of meaning one thing having a particular idea in your head, but finding out that the word you're using doesn't quite point to the same idea. Barbara Brown Taylor writes that after the Tower of Babel fell, eventually those who spoke Finnish had a word for a large herd of reindeer that didn't exist in Japanese. Those who spoke Japanese had a word for sunlight that filters through trees that didn't exist in Rukwangali. And those who spoke Rukwangali had a word for tiptoeing across warm sand that did not exist in Finnish. In each of these cultures, language developed with these distinct nuanced words in order to communicate their own different experiences of reality. But none of the words should be confused for the thing itself. Language circles around reality, but it shouldn't be confused with reality. You can't get drunk off of the word wine, and you can't find salvation in the word God. However, it stands to reason that the more languages you have access to, the more cultural experiences you're able to learn about, the more faces of humanity you're able to love, the more closely you will be able to circle around that reality. The more words for and experiences of God we can encounter, the more fully we might be able to experience the reality of God. We so often consider the story of the Tower of Babel to be one of punishment, but what if it's not? What if instead it is a story about a great gift at humanity's disposal? A gift that we are often too self-centered to use well. The truth is every individual and culture reveals something of God in a unique way. And if we can stop clinging so tightly to our own native spiritual tongue, we just might be able to recognize the divine in the spiritual languages of others. On November 4th, we marked our first, the first anniversary of our call to serve as co-pastors at Northminster. Of course, we came in with certain ideas of what we'd be doing week to week, and we've been surprised to see how many of those things we immediately let go of, <laughs> as well as what we found important enough to hold on to. And one of those things we found is worth holding on to is our greeting at the beginning of worship. It's usually something to the effect of, you are welcome and celebrated here because we can see God more clearly now that you are here. You carry with you a piece of God's image that we need in order to get a fuller picture of God's face. And we can hear God's voice a little more clearly now that your voice has been added. 
We keep saying this week to week because we believe that we are awakened to a fuller experience of God when we can see Christ in the experiences of those different from ourselves. And this is as true of everyone who walks through our doors as it is true of everyone, everyone who would never dream of walking through our doors. It's as true of the children of God in Monroe as it is in those of Ciego de Avila, Cuba. On both sides of any line we can draw, lines of race, gender, social class, politics, culture, or ability, we can see the face of God. There's an old Buddhist parable about three men, each blind from birth, who encountered an elephant for the first time. The first man approached the elephant from the front and felt only its tusks. And so he announced, an elephant is a hard, smooth, and pointy thing. The second man felt only the tail and responded, no, no, friend, you're wrong. An elephant is a small, nimble, hairy creature that flits about. The third friend shook his head as he rubbed his hands on the side of the elephant, reaching up as high as he could and said, brothers, you are both wrong. An elephant must be a large, leathery wall that reaches up higher than any man can reach. And each of them had their own experience of the elephant, but none of them took the time to discover for themselves what the others had encountered. And so they went on believing that the other two were either lying or just plain wrong. They each made the mistake of confusing their own partial experience for the whole of reality. We have each found God differently. And so the manifestation of that divine mystery is going to look different in you than it does in me. This is true in this room because each person is unique. And it's true of our church collectively compared to our sister church in Cuba or any number of churches in any number of cultures. We speak different languages, sing different songs, create different kinds of art. And each provides a unique window through which we can see God differently and know God more fully. We are awakened to a fuller experience of God when we see Christ in the experiences of those different from ourselves. It's a gift for which we should be grateful, but like the citizens of Babel, we, are, we often neglect to use it. For much of our history, we haven't known how. We hand the gift over to our flesh, which deals only in judgment and jealousy, insecurity and opposition that drives us to dominate and reshape others into our own image. In the hands of the ego, these differences that can open us more fully to God become distractions that cause us to miss God entirely. The story plays out again and again throughout sacred and national history. When the residents of Babel were finally granted the gift of learning one another's language for God, they were so confident in their own language that they chose instead to fight and separate. When the residents of Jerusalem were finally granted the gift of God walking among them in the flesh, they were so confident in their own ideas of God that they chose instead to crucify the living God and persecute Christ's followers. When the explorers of the West were finally granted the gift of seeing humanity in all of its incredible diversity, they were so confident in their own images and ideas of God that they chose instead to colonize the world in a brutal attempt to reform it into their own image. What 
destruction is born when we confuse our words for God with the living God? What damage is done when different is synonymous with wrong? It's the work of the people of God to become more fully aware of this tendency within ourselves so that through our awareness and God's grace, it might be transformed into openness, respect, and enlightenment. The alternative is to become so centered on ourselves and our own experiences as normative that when God stands before us, we're too distracted even to notice. In the hands of the ego, these differences that can open us more fully to God become distractions that cause us to miss God entirely. We're painfully aware of the story that our culture, and specifically that Christianity in the United States, has often told. It's a story that casts Americans as the heroes, taking the gospel to heathen lands as if they had no knowledge of God, as if God were not already there. And so, in the language of that old liturgical confession, for the story that we and our spiritual parents have told, we are truly sorry and we humbly repent. It is our hope that the relationship between our congregation and the congregation of Emmanuel Baptist in Ciego de Avila, Cuba, might continue to be an instrument of healing, a pen with which we might together write a new story. It is our hope that we might continue together to tell a story with God at its center, a story in which we are all agents of God's spirit, seeing the divine in one another's faces. 25 years of this kind of partnership is surely worthy of celebration. Thanks be to God, friends, that there is so much difference among us in this world and in this very room. What beautiful complexity is added to our image of God because we have the gift of knowing the stories of our brothers and sisters in Cuba, and because we have the gift of knowing one another here in Monroe. What a beautiful privilege it is to have been with our sister church on Northminster's behalf, to worship with them in their language, to preach in our own, and to know that God was there in the midst of it all, somewhere above and beyond all of our language. It was only a glimpse, but we had the opportunity to see God through their eyes, to find out what their piece of the elephant feels like, what their words for the glory of God sound like, just as we in this room have that opportunity to learn from one another week after week. So Northminster, may we now together Rewrite that ancient story of Babel, but this time with a different ending. Amen.